Hey there, welcome to another edition of the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank, coming to you from my house up here in Bellingham, Washington. We have a great show in store for you this week. The always hilarious, always insightful W. Kamau Bell will be checking in from Oakland to talk about how he is doing during the quarantine and his CNN show, United Shades of America. Then, believe it or not, we are going to talk about earthworms with science writer Julia Rosen. Jumping earthworms, in fact, which are taking over parts of America and might even be endangering the maple syrup supply in America. This is no joke, people. This is serious. Then we're going to hear some seriously good music from Samantha Crane. So don't go anywhere. The Live Wirehouse Party gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, Elena. Luke, 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 Luke Averill, Luke, Luke, Luke Averill, Luke, Luke. Hello, Luke. Do you like your I new name? I want to see how long you can keep the song going. Uh, that's good. I love that song anyway. I'll absolutely take that. How are you doing this week? I'm great. How are you? I am good. It is very hot yes. here in Bellingham, Washington, as it is all over the country. The uh, dog is curled up. This is the only cool part of the house, this room I'm broadcasting because I have a fan set up, and the dog is sleeping underneath the table because oh. this is the coolest place in the house for her to be. When I got tenure, uh, some funny friends of mine gave me a slip and slide as my tenure gift. <laughs> nice. But we have mulch, so you can't really, it would hurt too much. So I just <laughs> set it up, and then I just sit in it all day in 100-degree days. <laughs> I just, like, park it in the middle and let the water fall on my head. <laughs> I like it. Do you, like, grade papers and stuff while you're in the slip and slide or do some of your, you know, college-related work? That would be upper level. I guess I, I, I think about intellectual concepts, uh, paper-free. There you go. <laughs> but that's it. But you, could be, you could be like the Dalton Trumbo of <laughs> slip and slides. <laughs> You have to be in the slip and slide while you're working on your next book or That's whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, hey, should we do the radio show? Sure, why not? All right, Molly, are we recording? Nothing can stop you now. I was wondering if you were going to sing. <laughs> All right, Elena, take it away. From PRX, it's Livewire. Recorded from our actual houses, welcome to the Livewire House Party. This week with comedian and TV host W. Kamau Bell. 
science reporter Julia Rosen, and music from Samantha Crane. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, live and direct from a small room just off his kitchen, the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. Uh, thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thanks to uh, Rudy, my dog, for the <laughs> emotional support here curled under the table. It's like the closest thing now we have to having an audience. Yes. <laughs> we have to do the show at home. Pet is audience. if the pets decide to come watch us do the show. <laughs> um, we have a uh, very fun show in store for you all this week. Uh, as we often do, we ask the audience a question. The question we asked this week was, what's the most surprising internet rabbit hole you found yourself going down during the pandemic? I feel like with a lot of us being stuck at home, there's just much more and also very much inside our heads, mm -hmm. kind of a lot of anxiety. It's sort of like the perfect oh, yeah. uh, recipe for Internet rabbit hole journeys. What is a, what's a, an Internet rabbit hole that you found yourself going down during the pandemic, Elena? I am deep, deep down a drag queen rabbit hole. I have, really? I have spent like, you know, how you get your report of how much screen time. Uh, I hate that yeah, thing. Oof. Yeah, I, I, it pops up on my phone, and yeah. I try to X out of it as quickly as possible. I feel like I had an uptick last week of something like 40%, and 100% of that 40% was drag queen content. Really? Yeah, because they all have you. My favorites are Trixie Mattel and Katya, who have this kind of like two-person show on YouTube, uh -huh. and they've been doing it for three years. There's like thousands of episodes where they just talk about anything in drag and they are so smart and so weird. And I mean, I am obsessed. I am obsessed with them. And this is how rabbit holes work now. There's yeah. all these algorithms. So once you start looking at something on YouTube, yeah. then the whole side of that page is just populated with other things like that. Yeah. And and then you're fallen. And yeah, and you just look and you're like, oh, well, there's the rest of my day. <laughs> <laughs> I recently went down uh, the internet rabbit hole known as the writer Joyce Carol Oates oh. <laughs> tweeting a picture of her foot which had come in contact with some kind of maybe poison ivy or something. Yes. She has a lot of blistering going on. And, you know, this is my response to stuff like that, Elena. When I saw it, I screen capped it because what? I thought, this is getting taken down and I it need was. this for posterity. And she did. She took it down. And like, Whoa. she had tweeted out a basically going, Hey, make sure you wear the proper footwear when you're out hiking, mm -hmm. because otherwise you could have this happen. Oh, and follow up question. Does anyone know what this is? <laughs> but it, she didn't give the internet proper warning about how graphic the foot was going to be. You know, my Twitter is writer Twitter. So any, right. anytime writers can talk about writers in a way that doesn't involve writing, they just yes. jump on it. And it was like the foot that shook the world <laughs> Yesterday. Basically like <laughs> Susan Orlean drinking a little too much and Joyce Carol Oates' foot. Or it's yeah. been a hot summer for writer Twitter. Hey, what are the uh, Livewire listeners saying uh, are some rabbit holes they've been going down during the pandemic? Here's one from Matt. Uh, you can go down an internet rabbit hole looking at corgis mixed with other breeds. Oh, I can already see it because I would imagine you get a lot of like the other breed just being on legs mm -hmm. that are much shorter than we typically associate with a golden retriever or something. Yeah. Or you get a, a corgi looking dog with long stilted legs, which is also mm. just super strange. Right. Uncanny. <laughs> a, a corgi on stilts. Yeah. Uh, what's another one? Here's one from Cynthia. 
I spend hours reading random reviews on Amazon products. <gasps> oh my gosh. That is a good way to lose an entire day. Yeah. The things <laughs> that people will take time out of their day to write about, like, I really expected more out of this ice cube tray mm-hmm. and then just a disquisition on on the shortcomings of this particular ice cube tray that retails for one ninety nine or something. I just love that people, that's how they're prioritizing their day. For some of my creative writing classes, I sometimes assign them to write a review and I'll pick like an air filter and then like 22 <laughs> college freshmen will invent personae and then talk about like their their corgi not liking the air filter or whatever. So That is such a genius <laughs> writing assignment. It also makes me a little sad because probably some of those reviews I was reading where I thought, how and why would anyone be doing this? It's because they were trying to pass their That's class right. at Oregon State <laughs> University. Now you'll never know. Sorry, Amazon. <laughs> Hey, uh, let's get our first guest uh, on over here to the house party. W. Kamau Bell is a comedian and the host of the Emmy-winning CNN show, United Shades of America. He also co-hosts a number of podcasts, including Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time, (laughs) period, which has got to be up there for best name of a podcast ever. Um, Kamau Bell, welcome to the Livewire house party. Thanks for having me. Uh, You are in Oakland right now? I am in Oakland, the only place I'm allowing myself to be. <laughs> yeah. What What's your kind of a typical day looking like for you with the family and everything? <laughs> it's like the movie Groundhog's Day, but not as dynamic. Uh, <laughs> you don't get really good at the piano? <laughs> no, the variances aren't as wide. Uh, but yeah, you know, I feel like the the motto of the pandemic is like that New England Patriots no days off thing. Like it just feels like every day somehow it has, ha- happens to be a work day. People forgot that Sunday's a thing or Saturday's yes. a thing. So uh, there, it's just sort of like every day it's like first figure out what are the kids need doing, need to be doing, or how, what can I get them doing so that I can keep working? Yeah. And how long will that last? And I've got a pretty wide range of kids from nine to two, nine, five, and two. Wow. So then I have an office I go into, but I feel like there's no, the thing I miss most is like that time, like, in the in a subway or mm-hmm. in a or in an Uber where you're like this is me time mm-hmm. between things yeah. there's no more between time anymore <laughs> the between time is gone <laughs> right <laughs> had you shot pretty much this whole latest season of United Shades of America before the pandemic yeah we finished shooting in February oh just so in time I think. Yeah, it was, I mean, I, I can't even remember my pre-pandemic time, but I think it was like, hey, there's a thing, kind of like, you know, H1N1 or SARS. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a thing, but there was no sense of, like, nobody was thinking about masks or anything. There was no, although some people still aren't. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so it was, we sort of like, oh, good. And now, and then, it, like, within a month, we were like, oh, thank God we had finished, you know. Yeah. yeah. But then I, I would imagine, because a lot of the episodes, I mean, you're, at least in the voiceover component, you're you're commenting on the pandemic and things like that. So you must have had to go back and rewrite and, and re-record certain elements. It's funny. I think more of that is happening in people's brains than actually <laughs> happened. I think we just <laughs> sort of have a show that, like, is always I mean we in one episode we were making the the premiere episode about white supremacy yeah. as the pandemic was happening and so it made it real easy to negotiate with CNN about what could go in the episode cuz they're like look outside your house right now right. you see that rally in the streets <laughs> like that's <laughs> we want to put that in the episode so uh but then i think you know like a lot of the conversations that we were that the pandemic has brought up and that the killing of George Floyd has brought up are things about like 
essential workers and who's defined as an essential worker and the gig economy mm-hmm. and all these things that like we have an episode about the gig economy. So when people watch it, it feels like we knew or that we changed it and we didn't, those episodes wow. weren't changed at all. Like wow. it's funny, even in the gig economy episode, a woman that I talked to in that episode says something about essential. We are essential. Right. And this was in the fall of 2019 that she said essential. And I was like, Oh, you know, it sort of jumped out. So I think it's just, I think when you're talking about big, always subjects like subjects that this country has always been talking about it sometimes it looks like you knew what was coming but it's like no it's just this has always been here wow uh this is the live wire house party we're talking to w kamau bell he is the host of united shades of america on cnn i'm luke burbank here with uh, elena passarello that episode that you mentioned about white supremacy it had literally one of the most helpful graphics i've ever seen on the subject and it's so simple it's an iceberg can you talk a little bit about the the idea behind that iceberg in that a lot of white people think, well, I'm not an active member of the Klan or, or some mm-hmm. overtly white supremacist group. Therefore, I'm not part of this condition in America. And that iceberg does such a great job of explaining how you can be part of it without thinking you're part of it. Well, you know, we in making that episode, you sort of you don't know when you go in what you're going to need to do. And one thing with our show is like over the last few years, I've learned we need to define things. We need to have, you can't just go blah, 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 racism. And somebody like, well, what do, what do I mean when I say racism? So white supremacy, we're like, we're making an episode about white supremacy. And we realized as we were making it that like we would get network notes and we're like, oh, no, they don't. That's not they don't get what we're saying here. Oh, we need to, if they don't get it, the audience won't get it. So let's define it. A white supremacist is a neo-Nazis or the KKK or remember the alt-right. White supremacy is a system that makes that and all these other things possible. And a white supremacist is a part of that white supremacy system. But in America, we're living in a system of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. White, but everybody likes to point at the white supremacist because we can all agree that that's bad. Mm-hmm. And so, but the difference is, is like, that's just a part of it. That's just the most extreme version of it. And so in the iceberg, what we say is like, that stuff's just above the water. But the lower you go in the water, the more racist, there's way more racism beneath the surface. And the further you go down in the iceberg, the more stuff that people don't find is easy, find it as easy to agree on. So, right. you know, for, when people say things like, Kamal, I just can't pronounce your name. Can you just, can I just call you K? Yeah. Well, that's participating in white supremacy because you're saying my white American tongue won't get around your name. Right. So I need to give you a nickname, which happens, you know, so, right. or when people just go, Kamal, can you tell me about Kwanzaa? First of all, ask me if I know anything about Kwanzaa. (laughs) So I think there's all these ways in which, and those are the lightest touches of white supremacy, but we're saying in the iceberg, they're all part of this same system. Mm -hmm. I I had an experience with you, Kamau, in Portland after a show, you and I were having a drink and I, my guess would be that this was a blip on the radar for you, but it really, really made an impression on me. We were sitting at a bar having a drink and somebody walked up and placed down a button in front of you that basically said that they had volunteered for the Barack Obama campaign, and they were offering it to you as evidence of, 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 of how much they care, I guess, or how much of an ally they thought themselves to yeah. be. And for me, watching you navigate that, I mean, I would imagine that's just being a black man in America, mm-hmm. but that was like, it, it, it's, it, makes my, it makes my skin crawl to this, to this day thinking about that moment. Yeah, I I don't remember that. <laughs> oh, wow. I, have, so I like, can't forget it, and you don't even remember it. <laughs> That's funny. I'm like, I'm like, do I remember that? Like, I don't remember that. And I think that it's it's really, it's not only the experience being a black man in America, it's the experience being a black man in America who has made it his sort of, like, job to talk about racism in front of white people. Mm-hmm. So I really the pandemic and the George Floyd killing has really sort of made it clear to me, like, oh, I— 
you know, a lot of black people have to deal with this. I'm somebody who actually gets paid to deal with it. So I have to accept that this is part of the gig. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is mm-hmm. this is part of the gig I have is awkward conversations in airports when airports used to be a thing I did or, <laughs> you know, sort of awkward exchanges on Instagram. Like if you're really if the person's really genuine and confused or really genuine, even if I'm like, that's not actually what you think it is. I will engage with you because that's I'm actually on my W-2 form, it says, or whatever my tax form is. <laughs> it says uh, dealing with uh, talking to white people about racism and uncomfortable ways. So and I sort of want to go, I'm the guy you talk to about that. So you don't do it to the to that one guy at work who you say is your friend, but that guy actually hates you and you pronounce his name incorrectly. Right. Uh, we're uh, talking to W. Kamau Bell. He's the host of United Shades of America on CNN. This is the Livewire House Party. We have to take a very quick break, but don't go anywhere because we will be right back. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke, I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners... Uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. I'm probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm-hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we we are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including... Uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content. Uh, and, Elena, uh, one more thing that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, Okay. What we're mm-hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh, my. There's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/slash. LiveWire to get 15% off your first order when you use LiveWire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Welcome back to the Livewire House Party from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Uh, we are talking to W. Kamau Bell. 
Uh, his CNN show, United Shades of America, is out and available right now on all kinds of platforms, including CNN. Um, one of the episodes that I was really fascinated by in this latest season come out is the one you did on farming in America. Yeah. Were you Did something mm-hmm. about farming intrigue you? Was this like a producer pitch this? How did you get on that topic? I mean, since the show started, you know, it's easy. It's, so you sort of want to go, where are the places that I would not normally put myself or I would not expect to go? And I, so we've been farming has been one of those things since the beginning. But then it's like it's, you know, luckily working at CNN, they don't just want a funny commercial where I'm like, I'm farming and I don't know what to do. They actually right. like, What's the angle? <laughs> Although you did seem mildly confused yeah. at the castration portion. <laughs> I was not I wasn't confused by the castration. I was like oh, horrified. horrified. And yeah. for people who were offended by it, you could have been way more offended. And we filmed the whole thing and it was oh. way worse than I ever. Anyway. Yeah. Uh. So uh, and one thing with this season that is that I don't think it's gotten enough attention is that this is the first season where the show is produced by 0.0 which is the same production company that did Parts Unknown with Anthony Bourdain. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So if you're like, wow, this season feels whatever, and you like that, that's them. <laughs> There's, this season feels more, it's a bigger, it's that's them. So I think that this farming idea that has just been in the ether, like Mo Fallon, who's like one of the main producers on the show, and who I worked with on the Anthony Bourdain Kenya episode, mm-hmm. was like, oh, I got this. And he sort of pitched it as this like deep dive into like the economics of farming, which is something we hadn't thought about before, which really makes it. And the fact that we're able to, and this is again, a testament to ZPZ in the farming episode, not only talk about black farmers, but then actually take a trip to black wall street in Tulsa Mm -hmm. and really connect all those things to me is like, that's a ZPZ thing that I was happy to do, but I wouldn't have been that ambitious. Are you learning things while you're shooting this? And I ask because like, I also do TV stories uh, for one of my jobs. And sometimes when you're in the moment of hosting, your brain is just, working so hard to think like what's the ending to this mm-hmm. uh, is the sound person mm-hmm. booming the interview subject closely enough there's all the tv-ness in your brain that it's hard to sometimes absorb the information as it's happening are you just as a person getting to learn while you're out doing it yeah i am i think because the way we shoot it like we're not shooting these are long conversations so mm-hmm. you have to be i have to be focused on the conversation above everything else and sort of let things fall away now there are definitely things where i'm like Oh, they said that. Let me remember that. There is sort of multiple levels of the chess game that are happening. And I am generally like, oh, that's funny. I should save that for the end when it'll be like a callback. Like, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, there's yeah. definitely like that side of it. But like in the farming episode, when uh, Scott Bluebaugh, we didn't talk about talking about cereal, but I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, when I buy cereal and it's $5, I'm mad at you. And he's like, yeah, I get a nickel. I didn't know he was yeah. going to say that. And I'm like, what? Wow. Like, you know, yeah. so you're seeing me go, I had no idea you were going to say that. Yeah. And then he goes, and it cost me seven, seven cents. cents. So that's yeah. me <laughs> learning in real time yeah. about how farming works in a way that like I did a lot of preparing for that. But those are the moments whenever I feel myself in a scene go, whoa, or what, or ah, or laugh. I'm like, this is it. If I'm feeling this, some percentage of the audience will feel this. Um, You're on the fifth season. What new interview skills or ideas do you have having done this for, for five entire seasons? I think the real thing is like I'm more comfortable being in charge of the environment I'm in in the interview. Mm-hmm. If you watch the very first episode Literally, I was a guy who was like very aware of the producers off camera or one of the producers off camera being like, "Mm, mm, mm." Uh. well, I guess this is the this is the guy we got. (laughs) 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 
I've been told he's the host. <laughs> like, so apparently he did something at some point that somebody liked. Uh-huh. And I was a very, and also literally he would interrupt as I was talking because he didn't think I was asking the right question. Oof. So, yeah, I, I realized I couldn't continue in that way. So every season I become more comfortable in the environment of like, I can do whatever the F I want to. Mm-hmm. I can turn to the camera guy and talk to him. I can decide in the middle of it that let's like, let's go over here. It's something that I saw Bourdain do a lot in Kenya. Like I'm just walking over here, even though no, everybody said, don't walk over there. It's like, you didn't want to tell Anthony Bourdain not to do something. Cause he's like, Oh, do that. So <laughs> I just felt like for me, it's like, like there's a moment in the white supremacy episode where the conversation sort of naturally turned to Tucker Carlson. Uh-huh. And I just was like, I'm going to turn to the camera and look like I'm yelling at t- or like yeah. yelling at Tucker Carlson yeah. or making fun of him. And then the guys laughed in the scene and Farouk and, uh, and Jaziri. And it just became a thing where I was like, Oh, that's hilarious. We'll use that somewhere. So, but like in the first season, I would have, I would not have felt comfortable turning to the camera mm-hmm. and like, sort of like, this is what I'm doing now. And I would have felt comfortable interrupting the scene. So I think the more I feel like, this is my house. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, you've invited me into your house, but now that the cameras are up. I will, you know, it's all about respect and making people feel comfortable with you doing that. I wouldn't be every, I wouldn't be that way in every scene, but that's what the big thing is like more comfortable making the show what I want it to be. Is there one question or kind of question that all these different people that you've spoken to teachers, farmers, gig economy workers, clan members, reformed clan members, uh, <laughs> that if you know, if you ask it, you're going to be able to keep the conversation going in a way that's fruitful? The number one thing that I've found you can do is just not talk. Right. It's just like, especially at the beginning of a conversation when you go, so what happened there? And just sort of like hold the silence. And people will just keep talking because what happens, especially with like situations like with people who come in sort of a little bit with their like, as my mom would say, with their butt on their shoulders. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's a as I say that, I don't know if that's a thing, but she Uh, says it's now my new favorite (laughs) phrase. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you sort of want to let people get past their talking points or get past the thing that the producer told them that they needed to talk about. And so I find the more the more quiet you can be and not like totally quiet, not like weird quiet, but like, really what? Okay. Just sort of like encouraging them to keep talking. The the more you can get the parts of the conversation that you're not expecting. Yeah. Uh, it would appear as a viewer of, of the show of United Shades of America that you're hoping to kind of demystify and illuminate some topics that for a lot of people are, 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 are unclear. They think they know about white supremacy. They think they know about farming or the gig economy or you name it. And, and you're kind of trying to break it down for them. Is the, I mean, is that the sort of goal of the show for you is educating people? Like, what are you hoping to achieve with this show? Um, you know, world peace. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, sure. I think it's really like, I mean, it's funny. I sort of, I, I used to make fun of people like this, but like, I feel like whenever this is a when Bono writes a song, he expects that to be the song that ends every problem in the world. Uh, and I feel like I get that now. When I'm working on the white supremacy episode, you're actually trying to – I'm actually trying to end white supre- the system of white supremacy. Yeah. Now, when the episode comes out, I don't expect it to. Uh, but having said all that, like it's really important, like that white supremacy iceberg piece, that it is – there are things in there that people can take out and immediately have – 
smarter conversations about a thing. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that it's a, not a thing where we're talking at such a high level that it's hard to synthesize into conversation. It is very easy for people to go now after last night's episode about white supremacy. Like black people, uh, American descendants of slaves are owed $19 trillion conservatively. Yeah. Like, you know, like yeah. that's the, yeah. to have that number. Now we can argue about it, but we gave them the math that makes that number make sense yeah. or makes that number that says this is why that's the number. So I, it's really important to me. And even as we go forward this season, I've learned we need more of that because that's mm-hmm. what people really want right now is like they want to be able to go, okay, got that. I can now tell that to my to my grandpa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a great show, Kamal. Congratulations. And uh, hopefully you'll get back to uh, being able to make them in the real world sooner rather than later. Well, like it or not, we're going to start making them again. I don't know what it's going to look like, but we're wow. literally in pre-production right now. Wow. And so it's, uh, yeah, you may, you're going to see some masks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kamal Bell is the host of United Shades of America on CNN. Kamal, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me. W. Kamau Bell, right here on the Livewire House Party. Uh, His CNN show is United Shades of America. This is the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Uh, As we do each week, we like to ask the Livewire listeners a question, and then folks answer by way of social media. We collect those up. This week, oh, we asked, uh, what is the most surprising internet rabbit hole you've found yourself going down during the pandemic? I feel like this is an extremely fertile time mm-hmm. for internet rabbit holes, what with being trapped at home and uh, everyone being a little worried. Right, uh, right. And you find yourself Googling things you just never thought you'd be Googling. Yes. Like, how to dig a mountain hideout. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I did that like two days ago. Uh, Elena, what is the Livewire audience saying uh, are some rabbit holes they've been down? Uh, here's one from Celia. Celia has been watching a bunch of videos by a guy on YouTube named Beard Meets Food. <laughs> and it's apparently videos of a man eating meals uh, that are 10,000 calories or more in under an hour. <laughs> are, wait a second. Did I pass out and submit this answer? Because I have been doing that same thing. I was arguing with a friend the other day that I said I could probably very easily eat 10,000 calories in a day. And, no way. But I don't know what that looks like. So then I Googled visualize 10,000 calories. And then I stumbled onto this whole YouTube feed of people eating you know, huge meals kind of competitively and then <gasps> videoing it and putting it on YouTube, which then led me to The Rock's, like Dwayne The Rock Johnson's Instagram page where he lists his cheat days. Uh-huh. So he'll go like 175 days of this hyper-disciplined eating. And then when he has a cheat day, he will eat four large pizzas, <gasps> four stacks of pancakes, a bunch of tequila, and then he documents all of it. Like The Rock cheat day Instagram is it's a whole mood and it's a mood that I have weirdly been in this week. <laughs> What's uh, another rabbit hole that a listener has been going down? Oh, here's a cute one from Aaron. I found myself going down a rabbit hole researching random facts about red pandas after the birth of my mice cub at the Oregon Zoo. Have you seen oh, a red panda before? Yes. I have to say, I feel like the name is misleading and I, with peace and love to <laughs> red panda enthusiasts the world over. I heard like a red panda, I believe, maybe escaped from a zoo yes. somewhere a couple years ago. Yeah, in Brooklyn, I think. 
I was ready to see, you know, a, a panda with red hair, but it was something that was a little more, it struck me as a little more fox-like, mm. a little bit, like, just not as, not as panda-y as I was expecting. Well, you know, and pandas are of the raccoon family anyway, so they're all just I raccoons. I didn't know that. Yeah, so when you call a raccoon a trash panda, you're not that far off. Have you ever seen that meme of the two red pandas with their arms outstretched, like they haven't yes. seen each other in a long time and they're about to hug? Yes. <laughs> All right, one more from the LiveWire listeners. What's a rabbit hole folks have gone down? Here's one from Ryan. Ryan says, this is so weird and a little dark, but I found myself researching incorruptible bodies after listening to LiveWire's episode 404 with Timothy Egan. Right. These are the like people he writes about. He's going to find Tim Egan's on this journey in Europe to yeah. kind of renew his faith. And there's this particular uh, woman who passed away, but because she's an incorruptible body, because she was like so holy, her body doesn't decompose. Yes. Oh. What's the reverse of that? Because I have it. You have a corruptible body. <laughs> I, my body is corrupting even as we speak. Or as the drag queens would say, it is gooped and gagged. <laughs> Whatever that is, I got it going on. <laughs> um, hey, you know what, Elena? Our next guest uh, isn't really going to take us uh, down a rabbit hole as much as a wormhole. Hey! I'm really sorry that I did that. I want to apologize to the listeners. <laughs> and I even brought this stupid sound effects machine into it. Um, Here is what happened. Back in February of this year, right before everything got shut down, um, I saw this article in The Atlantic uh, about these worms that are called like jumping or crazy worms and how they were taking over sections of America. Mm. And I was very fascinated by this by this article. And then it turned out that the person who wrote it, Julia Rosen, actually lived in Portland. And so uh, we asked her to come by the Alberta Rose Theater to tell us more about these worms. Uh, and we actually never got to air that interview. Um, so we're gonna play it now. Uh, take a listen to this. It's us talking to Julia Rosen at the Alberta Rose Theater. Julia, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Now, let's just start with the important stuff. You put out this amazing article in The Atlantic about earthworms on the same day that you gave birth. <laughs> and this was not that many days ago. And here you are. Thank you so much. And congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. I read this article a week or two ago, and it just absolutely blew my mind. An article you wrote about earthworms, and particularly about a strain of worms that seems to be showing up in parts of the U.S. where they should not be. What is going on with these crazy, and that's the title, that's their actual name, right? Yeah, they have a few. So crazy worms, um, jumping worms, snake worms. The reason is that they sort of like act like rattlesnakes, like they snap their bodies. They're not just like the cute little inchworm that goes along. So what's going on with them is that all of northern North America had no native earthworms, which was shocking to me. I'm from Michigan and, you know, you just like see earthworms all the time. Um, and none of them were supposed to be there. So Because there was an ice yeah. sheet? Yeah, because um, up until about 10,000 years ago, there was a massive ice sheet covering all of North America. And so worms can't live under ice. And so it eradicated any native species that would have been there. And so all the ones that are there now, we brought there. 
more or less. And the idea was that the ecosystem developed with no worms. Right. And now that these crazy jumping worms are there, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and I should say before the crazy worms came, there were European worms, which are also invasive and also bad. It's just that the crazy jumping worms are worse, probably. So the reason that they're bad is that these forests evolved without any worms. And so they, you know, the leaves would fall and the moss and the lichen, and it would develop this really thick layer of duff. And all the native plants and all the animals like evolved to have this really thick layer of duff to live in. And then the worms come in. And as you probably know from your compost bin, worms are really good at eating organic matter. And so within, I've been told two to three years of showing up, you'd go from having like six inches or a huge layer of duff to just nothing. So they just eat it all. And so it totally changes the whole ecology of the forest. How did you find out about this situation? So I'm a science journalist and I get inundated with press releases for new studies. And the vast majority of them, I just don't have time to look into, but I was going through my emails and I just saw one about like invasive earthworms are changing. I was just like, stop there, invasive earthworms. I didn't know that was a thing at all. I mean, you don't think of them as getting very far. Yeah, doesn't it say in your article that an average earthworm only moves like 30 feet a year? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Or something like that? Yeah, there was, there's some professional debate about how far an earthworm uh. could get. We should have some races, but um, <laughs> the, yeah, in general, like an earthworm infestation, they're just not, they don't move very far. Um, they're just kind of in the soil doing their thing. And so, but when a crazy worm is in the soil doing its crazy thing, yeah. then that that small area can actually be completely decimated yeah. by, by right. this particular type of yeah. earthworm. Yeah, so one of the things that's really disturbing to people about the crazy jumping worms is that they, they just live in the very upper layer of soil, whereas like the European earthworms, which would be like the night crawler that you might have fished with or something, they kind of go up and down through the soil and they mix it, but the, the jumping worms just live in this very top layer and they just churn it and churn it and churn it, and it literally looks like coffee grounds. Like you pick it up and it's just this loose, or some people call it like ground beef, but that's the texture of it. So there's like nothing for plants to even root in. It's just this really loose, highly disturbed soil. And so that's what they do in that little area where they're, where they're located. Uh, we're talking to science journalist Julia Rosen about this article uh, in The Atlantic that she wrote about invasive earthworms. I think part of why I was so shocked by this was because like most people, you just think worms are good for everything, the plants, the, like worms have this weird, like they occupy this weird place in our minds because they are not charismatic animals if you really no. think about it. No. Like they, they start off with a lot of PR deficits yeah, right. and yet we love them. And that's to some degree because of Charles Darwin. Right, exactly. Yeah, this was one of this was kind of how I got hooked on this story. Like when I was, I was just like, I have to write this story because yeah, we all think earthworms are good. They're like you learn about it as a little kid in school, like earthworms in the soil. That's a good thing. And it turns out that we only think that because Darwin um, got obsessed with earthworms and spent forty years writing, um, doing studies on earthworms and writing a book which was believe it or not, a bestseller in 1881. His book on <laughs> earthworms was like more popular than um, his evolution stuff. Um, huh. <laughs> and it didn't maybe stand the test of time, but I mean, no, it did. I mean, it's still all true. Um, but yeah, we sort of... One you of would my, like play bassoon for them? Yeah. Well, he wanted to know, like, can they hear? Um, and it turns out they can't really hear, but they're very sensitive to vibrations. So they don't care about the bassoon, but if you put them on a piano and you hit a note, they'll, they'll be like, ah, what's happening? To walk in on Charles Darwin when he was in the middle of this experiment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One side of the room is a bassoon and some kind of bored worms. And then he's got like one on his piano, like Michelle Pfeiffer and the fabulous Baker boys. And he's just playing. <laughs> what a, what a scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, 
I mean, was the science that Darwin, I'll let that just sink into everyone for a moment. That's a real way homer. Um, but I guess my question, uh, Julia, is like, uh, was Darwin right about the science of these worms? I mean, was he the one saying worms are good for the soil and they make things grow and we should have more worms around? Yeah, well, so they're native there, right? So, like, they, they evolved in those ecosystems, and they do play a really important role in breaking down organic matter and helping plants grow. And, you know, people have been living, coexisting with um, earthworms and, you know, having agriculture for a long, long time. So it's a totally different setting. And, and he is right. He, he said they were one of the most important organisms in the history of the world. And that it's true. I mean, they have this massive impact on the soil. They're called ecosystem engineers. He also got really obsessed with how they bury, you know, ancient buildings. Like the archaeological record is partly preserved because worms are always bringing their castings, their poop up to the surface and burying things. Like he had this stone that he kept in his garden for 30 years to measure how fast, you know, it got buried by worms. So, I mean, he was right that they are super influential. And in Europe, where they're native, they're not that much of a problem. But over here, it's a completely different story. Is it because colonists brought the earthworms over and just thought this soil is the same as the other soil, so earthworms must be good for it? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think most of it was inadvertent. So they would bring it in like shit ballast or like in you know, plants and stuff. And nobody was going around like seeding earthworms. I mean, maybe right. they were in their garden, but um, it really wasn't until a few decades ago that people started to find these earthworms in the wild. And one hypothesis is that um, fishermen, when they're done, you know, they have fished a little bit and then they've got an extra extra worms and they just like toss them next to a lake in the woods in Minnesota or something. That's one of the ways that wow. they get into the into these undisturbed forests. And so, yeah, basically we've been moving them around for hundreds of years, not paying much attention to the consequences. Yeah, what are the consequences potentially? Like how serious of a thing is this? Well, um, there's debate and obviously scientists, you know, are careful and don't want to stir up alarm, but um, the it, it's very clear that when they come into these ecosystems, they really change the diversity of the plants for the reasons that we discussed. It really changes the soil. And also, like, if you're a salamander and you were living in that litter layer and it's gone now, you have no shelter. Um, uh, birds suffer. One of the interesting things about the jumping worms is they they, for some reason, accumulate heavy metals really quickly. So, like, a jumping worm can have higher mercury concentrations than tuna. And so some of the birds, it's, like, more than a bird or a mouse or something can tolerate. Wow. So, so like, poisoning those animals inadvertently? Potentially. These are some of the things that people are just studying, especially with these jumping worms. This is all pretty new. But one of the really big fears is that they interfere with the regeneration of trees. And so there's some research happening now in, like, Vermont in these maple forests where they're finding no tree seedlings whatsoever in invaded portions. And... You and know, this is where the syrup this is, is going to come from because now it just got personal for me. <laughs> exactly. That's when people perk up. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah, earthworms, wait. <laughs> maple well, syrup. So, like, I mean, what, what can be done about this other than just punching every worm you see <laughs> to be safe? <laughs> yeah, that's that's good step, um, number one. <laughs> Uh, honestly, there's not too much you can do once they get established. They're really hard to eradicate. Um, the best thing that people can do is to pay attention and stop spreading them. Because as we discussed, worms don't get too far on their own. We are really the ones moving them in mulch. Um, you know, from nurseries could be spreading them. They kind of, people just aren't paying attention. So um, the best thing people can do is pay attention to where you get your compost, make sure it's treated. If it's heated to a certain temperature, that will kill all of the worms in the cocoons. Um, Some people, if you know it's in your area, advise not getting like the leaf compost that you could get from the city where they've picked up leaves from all over town and then they all get mixed together and you just kind of don't know. Um, 
if you do like a plant swap, you know, make sure that you don't have worms and you're not giving them to your neighbors. It comes back to this question of getting people to think that earthworms aren't always good. Um, that's really the hurdle is like overturning this long held love of earthworms. Uh, well, it's a fascinating article. Uh, you can check it, I'm sure, at the Atlantic's website. Uh, Julia Rosen, thank you so much for coming on Livewire. Thank you. That was science reporter Julia Rosen, recorded at the Alberta Rose Theater. Uh, this is the Live Wire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank. That's Elena Passarello. Uh, we got to take a very quick break, but do not go anywhere because when we come back, we're going to hear a song from Samantha Crane. Stay with us. It's Live Wire from PRX. Hey, special thanks this episode to Nathan Corser and Kristen Miner of Portland, Oregon. Nathan and Kristen are part of the Livewire member community, and they generously support our show with a donation each month. Uh, we are so thankful for that support. It is genuinely what allows us to keep this whole show going. So a very big thanks to Nathan and Kristen. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. They make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to the Live Wire House Party. I'm your host, Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello. <laughs> Our musical guest this week has toured with a whole range of artists, including the Avid Brothers, Neutral Milk Hotel, Brandy Carlisle, among others. Um, she won two NAMIs, which are Native American Music Awards and also the Indigenous Music Award for Best Rock Album uh, last year. And she was flying to Portland to be on Livewire when the pandemic shut everything down. Yep. Uh, so we are very excited that we're able to now finally get her on the show, even by way of Zoom and all this virtualness. Uh, her latest album is A Small Death. Joining us all the way from Norman, Oklahoma, is Samantha Crane. Samantha, welcome to the Livewire House Party. Thank you for having me. Um, I saw this picture of you in No Depression magazine powerlifting as a kid. It's probably the most cool singer-songwriter-related photo I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> How old are you in this picture, and what was the story? I think the main picture they used, I was like five years old. Oh, my gosh. You're, like, lifting a lot of weight. Yeah, it's like 100 pounds, <gasps> <laughs> like, as a five-year-old. Your form um, is amazing, too, yes. by the way. <laughs> I think I have, like, a side ponytail. <laughs> like, it's really cute. That's a family thing, right? Your your dad and uncles and everybody in your family, they were really elite powerlifters? Yeah, I grew up in a family of, like, legendary competitive powerlifters. And powerlifting is a weird sport because it's, like, this scrappy, like, kid brother of 
weightlifting, which is like what you see in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just happened to be like really good at it. Not that I necessarily loved it by any means. It was more something that I was sort of ushered into mm-hmm. because it was a family thing. And there weren't like a lot of kids doing it back then. Like it was basically just me and my little brother and... Um, <laughs> We were, like, uh, kind of a crowd draw at these things. Like, they'd just, like, put the little kids up before the meet started, and we'd lift. That must have prepared you for touring, though, just being on the road. That was what the whole essay was about. They had me write an essay, and they were like, you can write about whatever you want. And for some reason, I was just thinking about the similarities between traveling for these powerlifting meets whenever I was a kid and then what I was doing as a touring musician. I mean... Me and my mom and dad and brother were all just on the weekends. We had this, like, old Dodge van that we would all pile in and drive to, like, Cincinnati or wherever it was. And we'd all kind of, like, wearily walk into some, you know, broken-down Best Western where they were having the powerlifting meet. And then we would just, like, compete and unload everything. And my mom would sell knee wraps and books and vitamins and stuff like a merch table, like a legitimate merch table. And then we would all just like exhausted, go back to the, you know, motel room and like stuff our face with Doritos and watch cops. You know, it's just like, it's exactly what, it's exactly what bands do. That's exactly what bands do. So there's a lot of similarities. Um, we're talking to Samantha Crane. This is the Live Wire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Uh, Samantha's latest album is A Small Death. I was reading uh, a little bit about the lead up to this latest album of yours and what was going on in your life. And you had had a series of car accidents that were not your fault. Own a stress. Right. I like <laughs> people, to make sure people that people crashed know into that. you, but you were dealing with some real serious health stuff with your hands and, and you play guitar. And is there anything you can tell me about the writing of this album? Yes, I had spent about a year not touring, not playing. Um, my hands were just in too much pain, which sort of spiraled me into like a really bad space mentally as well. So I just was kind of in this process of like relearning who I was outside of like Samantha Crane, the musician, if I couldn't do this anymore. Mm. Um, We kind of have these small deaths like in our life. There's like a power surge and all the electricity goes off and you're kind of like caught mid sentence. Like I wasn't really ready to leave this situation I was here in. And there's no control over that. And you just sort of have to get on with it. Then I slowly kind of just through different therapies got use of my hands back and just immediately started writing. Like I kind of keep audio um, diaries all the time. Anyways, that was something that one of my therapists was having me do. She was just like, just go on long walks and just talk into an audio recorder so you can just work through whatever's going on. And what it turned into was digging through that and finding a record full of songs in there. Wow. Well, speaking of which, uh, what song are we going to hear? I'm going to play a song called High Horse. This this song is about kind of how I, I have lots of like photos and letters laying around the house. And sometimes when I look through them, it feels almost like a stranger was living that part of my life. And it's kind of what the whole record's about. So That's how I feel every time I hear this radio show unexpectedly. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I know what you're talking about. All right. This is Samantha Crane here on the Livewire House Party. In the evening, I 
Sinking love. 
That was Samantha Crane right here on the Livewire House Party. Her latest album is A Small Death. It has been on a repeated play here at my house and uh, highly recommend it as the soundtrack to sweltering your way through late summer, wherever you might be. All right, that's going to do it for the show. I guess we have to leave these air-cooled rooms, Elena, and go back to the the rest of our house. Back on the slip and slide. That's right. I'll see you on the slip and slide. (laughs) All right. That's going to do it for our show this week. A huge thanks, as always, to our guests, W. Kamau Bell, Julia Rosen, and Samantha Crane. Livewire is brought to you in part by Foley, Alaska Airlines, and the Jupiter Hotel. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Amy McCormick is our development director. And Ariana Donoville is our marketing associate. Caitlin Kunkel is our writer. Our house band is Sam Tucker, Ethan Fox Tucker, and A. Walker Spring, who also composed our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixed this episode along with Corey Schreppel. Our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission, a state agency funded by the State of Oregon and the National Endowment for the Arts. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we would like to thank member Stacy Owen of Portland, Oregon for supporting the show. For more information about Livewire, how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And If you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.